welcome to the Progression Health Podcast. This is episode 43. So this is part two with researcher Pat. Pat, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Second time, um, gracing, blessing, aka being blessed by being allowed on your podcast. Uh, I'm Pat. I did my PhD in sports science and more specifically in what's the least one needs to do for strength here in the UK at the University of uh, Solent under Dr. James Still and uh, Dr. James Fisher. I am coach for StrongerByScience.com, uh, working with individuals who want to increase their muscle mass, um, improve their body composition, uh, increase their strength, as well as competitive physique and strength sport athlete uh, and people from all sorts of uh, professional and sporting backgrounds. I do research in sports science, more specifically in strength, hypertrophy, and everything related to lifting. Um, as a hobby, I'm not uh, a professional uh, as, as like, I don't get paid for my research, so, but I am a researcher and that's the unfortunate reality of research in niche areas like the ones we like, but I really enjoy doing it. And I also occasionally at the university here, I've taught at a couple of universities here in the UK, but yeah, uh, my world is sports science, strength, getting bigger, getting stronger, and just helping people be fit, strong, and muscular. Yeah, and you're in very good company with all those names you gave and the companies you work with. So um, you have a lot of experience and I feel like you're a very uh, good example of like a fitness, I don't want to say fitness enthusiast, but a fitness expert is also an enthusiast in terms of like passionate about, enthusiast is the wrong word, but uh, very no, it's, passionate it's, about promoting right. fitness, you know? Yeah, I am a fitness enthusiast and a strength enthusiast. I mean, as you can tell in the background in my office, there's like, I'm not sure if you can see the, like there's like four barbells, oh, 400 yes. kilos, 800 kilo, 800 pounds of plates. And at the end of the day, like that's why I mentioned the research that I do is is not like I'm not a, I don't work at the university as a researcher. I like to do research because I love learning more about lifting. Obviously, I'm not producing as much research as a researcher who works full time. But like we have, we have a few papers coming out now, one on deloads. Uh, I'm doing a systematic review on the minimum dose for hypertrophy. Uh, my loads has published a systematic review on range of motion. I had the, was, I had the honor and the chance to, to help there too. And there's a few projects that are coming out all around the areas that we, we as lifters and as fitness practitioners enjoy. Yeah, because that's, that's great because yeah, when you go down the rabbit hole of like different questions, you can start asking yourself about training and how to optimize it. Like it just, it goes on and on and on. So to get more clarity on how to train effectively is so important because um, it can be demotivating to like not have an answer for like how to approach training, you know, like especially for somebody who's not uh, experienced with, with resistance training. So uh, mm-hmm. previously we were talking about the minimum effective dose of training. Yes. So uh, what are you kind of currently involved? I know you gave a little bit of an example, but what what are you uh, working on currently and what, what are your plans for the future in terms of your research now that you've done the minimum effective? So as I mentioned, we are uh, at the moment getting ready to preprint. So uh, preprinting is where you publish study or it is uh, it goes through peer review as a, as a preprint. Obviously, for those of you that don't know, for a study, especially with multiple authors, even before it goes through peer review, so through the process of submitting it to a journal and having two anonymous, random, or sometimes anonymous, sometimes their names are known, uh, having two reviewers uh, get back to you and sort of review the paper, see if everything is accurate, give input, agree or disagree with, with certain things, suggest changes, make comments, etc. Before that process, if you have multiple uh, authors on a paper, that paper will have gone through essentially some, some initial stages because when you're six academics on a paper, you are all commenting, changing stuff, correcting. So um, we're expecting to preprint while we submitted for peer review paper on deloads. Um, the concept of deloads, I think this is the first paper that has looked at deloads in general, uh, but more specifically in deloads in uh, strength and physique sports. And this is a paper by Lee Bell, uh, David Nolan, Bellu, Imonen, as well as myself and a few others. And we did a few interview and survey studies, coaches and athletes of the highest level in uh, strength and physique sports, including a bunch of academics or including a lot of uh, PhDs. That's one 
one thing. Milo, as I mentioned, a good friend, colleague, and lover. No, not really. Maybe someday. You never know. Um, but yeah, good friend and colleague who is also located in Southampton doing doing his PhD in muscle growth, uh, range of motion and muscle growth, as well as muscle strength. He recently published his systematic review and meta-analysis, which is called, um, let me just see the exact title, is Partial Versus Full Range of Motion Resistance Training. And it's also available as a preprint. I'll send you the link so you can uh, input it. So it's called Partial Versus Full Range of Motion Resistance Training, a systematic review and meta-analysis. And I had, um, as I said, the honor to help there. That was also a project that is out. And I am also working on a minimum dose systematic review and meta-analysis for the minimum dose uh, required, minimum training dose required to increase uh, muscle hypertrophy, which it kind of exists out there. If you look behind, like if you look at certain papers, I've looked at volume and hypertrophy, you can kind of see, uh, if you look at the lower volume studies, what they found, you can kind of see them, what's the least one can do there. But I don't think that it has been properly highlighted in the literature, um, at least in the way that um, people can look at a certain paper and be like, okay, this will sort of tell me what the current literature says in terms of what's the least one needs to do to get significant meaningfully that's all um there's another cool paper that is on powerlifting performance and how it looks over time that is also coming out that something i wasn't involved in as majorly as projects that i mentioned but that will be coming out as well i think i'm probably missing something but these are some of the major projects that are on route here so. right so they're staying active and on top of the, the literature so uh for those who don't know what is a deload uh who does the deload apply to like who should consider a deload and when should it be considered you're you're asking a, a big question here and, and that's exactly what the paper look answers so uh, as it stands uh, the definition of a deload in the literature is uh, a bit all over the place the, the way we find it is uh, as a you know as a, as a week where training stress is i mean we did a survey so for the survey we had to to define the way we we perceive the deload but um, i'll give you that definition but in terms of how coaches and athletes usually find a uh, deload i'll let the paper do the speaking there because it's a lot and if i start unpacking that then this episode will be the deload episode but the way we sort of defined it as authors uh it was this so deloads aka light weeks or recovery weeks or unloads etc are lower training stress days or weeks utilized to reduce fatigue now i'll i'll re respond to this more as a coach uh which obviously my answer is somewhat um somewhat affected by the research that we did because we conducted interviews i got to speak with a lot of coaches and athletes uh, so obviously i have some of their input is uh, has informed my um, practical um, applications. So I'd say a deload may not be necessary for people that for people that are just training for general muscle mass and strength. So for your recreationally active individual who's not necessarily pushing themselves to the limit every week and who may not be following the most structured of programs and is just going to the gym, hitting the weights relatively hard, but nothing too crazy, you know, um, will have a few weeks where they're traveling, some weeks where, you know, work gets busy, so they'll miss a couple of sessions. I think for them, um, a deload, so a, a lower stress week may not be necessary. So may not be necessary does not mean they cannot utilize one. I'd say for individuals who are training very hard, there will come a point where if they have a lifestyle and a sort of setup that allows them to train consistently without any breaks, so there's no traveling, there's no random week where they skip a few days of training and they're able to get in their very, very hard training week in, week out. I think for those, um, there will come a point where their body will say, hey, you got to take it easy. They may start feeling um, niggles and pains. They may start uh, feeling run down. Performance 
may start regress. And when those signs pop up, it may be a good idea for them to take a step back and do a deload week, essentially a week where their training is much um, easier. Um, and at the same time, it is not as heavy. That makes sense. So a week where their training volume is down, they still go to the gym, maybe do half of what they were doing before. Um, they leave more reps in the tank. They still do something. There is still movement. There is still some exercising, but it's a very relaxed week. Yeah, very good. So many, so many things to say about Toad. David Nolan from Ireland, right? Yes. Yeah, very good. Uh, Barbell Medicine the infamous. mentioned the infamous. Yeah. Uh, Barbell Medicine then mentioned, uh, I don't know if that's, I can't mention them, but yeah. So anyway, they, they uh, talked about uh, deloads could be like a day or a few days, not just a week. So that's something yeah. I want to ask about. And then um, just with deloads, does it kind of come from like, so it's not just invented in uh, like uh, powerlifting. It like comes from kind of like Olympic sports, that Olympic cycle. Is that where it originally comes from? And can you kind of just follow like, books about like uh training for the the olympics Does that makes sense or like is it just like a new concept that is purely being used in power it's as if you've read the paper and you're asking questions based on the paper Still i actually there? haven't no but <laughs> you're gonna yeah, say this to me yeah it's impossible that you've read it because it's still not out unless you've hacked one of us but no that's a spot-on question because there is um there's also tapering so, and that's something that is often uh, used interchangeably with the word, the, the term deload and taper, even though a taper is something that prepares you. So it, again, allows you to uh, dissipate fatigue and prepare you for a specific event. So on a specific day, you are on your best performance. For example, the Olympics, an Olympic athlete, uh, a weightlifter, for example, is not going to be maxing out uh, the day before or doing a ton of volume the day before their competition day. I'm not sure. They may be maxing out, uh, but... Um, I assume that they will have plan that allows them to recover, but also maintain their training performance. So on a specific day, they can ex uh, exhibit, they can express their their best uh, athletic ability, the best performance or whatever. Versus a deload where a deload does not necessarily uh, care about uh, peaking you for a specific day uh, or keeping your performance at its all-time peak. So deload's purpose is, again, this is me speaking as a coach, mostly there's much more to unpack there. We've done that that on the paper, but uh, for somebody training for hypertrophy or, or strength, the deload aims to not detrain them. So obviously it's not going to be a week or a few days. I mean, it may be a few days of no training at all if there's a psychological preference by the athlete, uh, because that's also something we need to take into consideration as coaches. But the, the purpose of the deload is to get your athlete ready for another few weeks of hard training. If they come back after the deload and they feel good, ready to train, even if their performance has slightly dipped, because they haven't trained as hard or maybe they rested a bit too much. That is not the end of the world. As long as they're feeling recovered, eager to train, and they can start uh, pushing training, even if their estimated 1RM has slightly dipped. But a taper is would not be considered successful if the athlete performed a taper and then saw their performance regress on a specific on the specific day that they used the taper but yeah taper and deloads tapering and deloads and there's a lot of there, there are a lot of studies a lot there are a few studies namely by hayden pritchard from new zealand and kyle travis from the u.s on uh, tapering uh I think both of them did their PhDs on tapering in strength sport and both of them really cool guys. Shout out. But yeah, there is studies on tapering for strongmen and powerlifters out there. And I think for Olympic weightlifters too, their practices, survey, interview studies, some um, intervention studies as well, and a systematic review and meta-analysis or two. But for deload, there's not much, if anything, like 
the concept of deloads. Some studies that have used unloading weeks, sure, but deloads, especially in the context of person that wants to maximize hypertrophy and or strength or is a power lifter and wants to know more about deloads, there's not much out there at the moment. But it's a it's a very common practice among coaches, especially in the world of evidence-based bodybuilding and powerlifting. And that is evident by, if you go on YouTube and write deload, you'll see there's a video by Jeff Nipper, for example, six months ago, half, half, more than half a million views on deloads uh, from picture fit, 520,000 views five years ago uh, named why you should be deloading and how to do it. Plenty of videos uh, from Ransom Spiritization, from John Meadows. RIP. Um, like it's, it's a very, very common practice. And when I saw that there's literally nothing on deloads, I was, uh, I was shocked, shocked. I was surprised. And we thought, you know, what better, uh, than having a study where we speak to some of the best coaches and athletes from both strength and physique sports sort of lay the foundation for more research to come out. And yeah, I'm super stoked. I hope in a couple of weeks we'll be able to share the preprint of this paper. It's, um, yeah, it's been a long time coming and shout out to all the guys the whole team the whole squad the whole gang yeah uh, so it's kind of like the uh practice or uh the art or just the training is, is like sort of ahead of the research because obviously the research takes time to be done so uh um, sure that's cool to see that on youtube that it's like your study is coming out like or it's not even fully out yet but there's a video from five years ago so um five years ago with with more than a half a million views and it's something that as a coach or in, and as a training enthusiast i've always regarded as common knowledge rather than common belief shout out james Steele as well yeah so that's great that there's going to be like a sort of a somewhat like formalized protocol for how to deal so i think uh like so kind of just playing my devil's advocate like someone's listening they're like you know i'm training away you know making progress i don't need to do a deload why would someone need to do a deload and then if someone is training for like the long term uh are they like more likely to do a couple of deloads than they would be to do like a couple of competitions like so and this goes for any sport could be bodybuilding powerlifting olympic lifting anything uh i would say that you're more likely to do like in a year you're more likely to do multiple deloads you're going to do more deloads in a year than you will do competitions that's just like a fact i would feel like just purely based on my own experience so yeah why should people do deloads and should you be doing more deloads than competitions um i mean i wouldn't say anybody must do a deload if they don't feel super fatigued and they are still if performance is progressing and there's no injuries or anything um, or fatigue ex, or extreme fatigue to the point where it's impacting your daily life because a lot of people that are listening or the majority of people that are listening I assume they are recreationally active individuals and not professional power lifters because they're like poor um, or bodybuilders um, so they don't necessarily need to deload if it's a good idea to do so if you're training very hard um, just so you reset and avoid potentially avoid injury we don't know if deloading helps with injury it may, it may not as well. So everything that we were kind of saying is observational. But I know from my own experience, coach and as a lifter, that if you're training, if you have, if you're training very hard and you are trying to maximize muscle growth and potentially simultaneously training for strength on some lift, and you're doing, you're training multiple times per week and your volume is relatively high, eventually you will have, even if you're in a surplus, even if you're on PDs, uh, eventually if you are pushing your body to its limits at some point there will be fatigue will be so high that you will need to take a step 
back. And fatigue is not a complete enemy, but you still need to manage it. Now, the question about deloads and competitions is is a is a is a relatively complex one because I don't think that people should necessarily compete, but if they compete in a sport, depends on who you're talking to because or you who you're talking about because there are I know people that compete multiple times per year and others that compete once and have the the one big meet. Um but observationally speaking, usually deloads will happen a bit more frequently than competitions uh for most of the powerlifters that I work with. So everybody will need to deload every, you know, depending on their size from four to eight weeks, uh, but they won't be competing every four to eight weeks. Good, cool. Yeah. Um, just a question I'm thinking of because we spoke a few months ago mm-hmm. is uh, what is something that you've changed your mind on since then? So I know obviously you've got the paper coming out in the deload, so maybe it's the deload. But uh, yeah, over the last couple of months, what's something you've kind of, you know, reconsidered, learned? couple of months. I think we spoke with... Um, it was much more than a couple of months. This is uh, time passing. And, and uh, let me tell you, actually. So the last time we spoke, I think was... Let's see, sorry, uh, elevator music. So it was episode... So this was, you said 43? This is 43. Yeah, I can 43. cut this out after anyway, so it's all good. That's fine. I, I was I was doing elevator music now because uh, I, I, I have developed the skill of being able to sort of stall and buy myself time by speaking a bit more. But yeah, we sp- we spoke in October 2021. So we're talking a year since wow. we last. I-, I was on episode eight. Yeah. Crazy. Even the logo has changed. Yeah. Um, that's nice. Uh, the new logo is quite nice. Thanks. What have I changed my mind on? So Milo's uh, systematic review and meta-analysis and a lot of the chats with Milo have not necessarily changed um, how I approach training, but uh, the evidence that is coming out on uh, training at longer muscle lengths being potentially quite hypertrophic has um, had me spend a bit more time tweaking my exercise technique and my exercise selection to bias um, training at longer muscle lengths. Um, from the deload study, it didn't really change my... my. It, it sort of reaffirmed some of the stuff that I was doing. Um, and it was cool to speak with a lot of people and see that uh, being reactive in terms of programming deloads is what most of those coach coaches um with some exceptions um we're going for that's how i've always done it i would not say hey to, to a certain i wouldn't tell a certain athlete okay we're going to deload every fifth week no matter how you're um, i had a couple of athletes that were older and much strong and super strong that we did have specific sort of okay we're going to train hard for three weeks deload the fourth week and that's what we did and that worked well but I have always been very reactive in terms of my training planning. And yeah, I that was that was good to sort of get reaffirmed. Didn't really change um my approach. Anything else that I've changed my mind on or kind of uh adjusted since last year. I don't think there's anything else besides training more spending more time on longer muscle lengths and training arms a bit more. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's that. You never train enough, right? No, you can't. Uh, but I, I could actually. When I was younger, there was a period of time where I was doing solely squats. Well, not solely, but the, the, I have done only squats for a couple of weeks in my life. I was a huge squat enthusiast, and I used to be one of those guys where if the workout didn't have a lower body movement, it didn't make uh, sense. Do and now it's kind of the opposite, and I've been training arms. Oh, and the the one thing that I've changed my mind is uh, that I've changed my mind on is. Uh, exercise selection for some bo- some body parts that or not really changing my mind because I wasn't against it, but I've started paying attention more and um, you know training the long head of my tricep a bit more and also spending time again in the in the stretch position for some of the bicep exercises that I was so varying my exercises like very good yeah so reactive uh, training systems Mike share you might have a job with him if you keep on being reactive <laughs> um, and 
just in terms of like how to kind of ex- I'm jumping around but just how to explain a deload is it kind mm-hmm. of similar to how people use vacation in like the working world where they're like I work really hard but then I have this vacation coming up so they kind of like they sort of like use the vacation as like time off to recharge and they go again is that would that be a useful analogy and then the second part is uh would training at uh the end ranges of uh your uh, reps be more useful for like kind of your functional movement so like for example uh I saw a video of uh someone doing a deadlift uh where they were going like uh at a deficit they were going further than than their the floor would that have more of a carryover because it would keep their body uh more mm-hmm. mobile it would it would improve their mobility to train at end range yes uh i guess i think that well, you're referring to milo's uh yeah. milo's deadlifts right yeah. yeah where he was on a like a double death do i think that doing that would de- definitely make you more functional no, because even if you reach down and do a, a deadlift, I think for daily life, like if you are training the deadlift and you are picking up stuff from the ground at, at normal depth, I think your the carryover is okay. It's fine. Um, would it help you get more flexible? Would that make your life much better? I don't. I, are you picking up stuff from a deficit on a daily basis, uh, like a deadlift? If yes, then yeah, sure. But I don't remember the last time I ever had to lift, um, you know, 160 kilos from a two plate or like anything equivalent to two plate deficit um, in my in my life. So I think even if you're just deadlifting and doing some RDLs and paying attention at, you know, getting a, a full range of motion, you are ticking most uh, boxes there. Got it. Okay. And then the analogy of vacation that people typically take in the working world, is that kind of similar to how people could use a deadlift in their training? A, de- a deload, you mean? A deload, yeah. What should I say? <laughs> you said a deadlift, and I was a like, deadlift, yeah. a deadlift. I'm getting tired. A deload. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I think it's a relatively good analogy. So it, the same idea. I mean, it may be a holiday, it may be a break, it may be a weekend away. You're working super hard. Stress is building up, and you know that you are reaching your limit. You've had a very hard week at work, constantly something to do, and you take that weekend away so you can bring down your fatigue, and you can then return on Monday and keep working. So I think that analogy is is perfect um so yeah that's a that's a that's a good way to put it some people again will not need a holiday i'm pretty sure that in the u.s especially where you are um the culture uh, versus some places in europe in terms of working and you know no no days off and just just working 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 um is is something that a lot of people uh I, I not adhere to, but uh, employ. And, you know, there are people that can just not take a huge break and, and they can still push and push and push or work and work and work with just, you know, obviously there will be a day off here and there. Other people need bigger breaks so they can push even harder. Good analogy. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely, just in terms of work, there's definitely people who work or like who could train right the way through. I think actually just thinking of training, it's like you could train in such a way that you would never need a deload. Like mm-hmm. you could, you could like really lower the volume for like, you know, days or weeks in a row. Um, you could just periodize it in such a way or auto regulate it in such a way where you would never need to take like a full black and white like deload. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think that you think that'd be possible? Like uh, I know it's uh, it, it might require maybe more planning on the on the kind of upfront to uh, facilitate that, but sounds plausible in theory. Of course, there's no science to like back that up yet. Yeah, I think again, if you're, but does it make sense plan for something like that? Like why would you? I'm not. It's it's a very good question, and the the, the reason I'm answering it like that is because think that and again, I'm not directly replying 
replying to you. I'm directly replying to the person who would be like, oh, yeah, could I plan it so I don't have to deload? Yes, in theory, if you sat and carefully planned your training so that you're managing fatigue to the point where but then maybe you're missing out on not pushing yourself hard enough. And if you're looking at maximizing muscle and or strength, you may need to do that. And is it really that bad if you take a week where you take a step back and deload. Anecdotally speaking, some of the best in the world have incorporated and still incorporate or all of them incorporate some sort of some form of deloading, either a reactive planned or even not calling it a deload because they'll take the that week where they're traveling because they are, you know, a famous lifter and they end up not training as hard and they or they, you know, they they're they're working on their clothing brand or their whatever and they end up not training as hard the one week and then the next week they are much fresh. But if you your average Joe who wants to build some muscle and some strength and look good and you are not feeling extremely fatigued, you need to over overthink it and say, okay, should I plan a deload? Should I? If you yeah. are, yeah, take it. Take it. Like and a week, a relaxed week of training or a complete week off is not going to do anything in terms of... Um, is not gonna set you back. If you're a competitive athlete and a bodybuilder, maybe it's best to do some training in that week and not come back and be insanely sore or find yourself sort of rusty when you come back, especially if there's a skill um, element to whatever you're doing. But for the average Joe, a relaxed week or two. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're a competitor, you want to try and maximize performance. So you would want to consider a formal deload. But then for the recreational like Joe or Mary or whoever, I think it's almost like in a year between like going on vacation, between like weekends, between uh, holidays, like, you know, Christmas, for example, uh, you'll naturally have lower training volumes anyway that you don't need to worry about a deload. You have a free minimum dose strength template. Would you talk a little bit about that? Because I yeah, uh, for sure. really, uh, really like the template for your paper and i found it very useful yeah so if you head to minimumdosetraining.com for those of you listening uh which i am doing so at the moment you can find a mini article well not even an article a page uh with a free template that essentially has um minimum dose sort of mini blocks uh at the bottom that one that one can use if they wish to do so for strength squat bench deadlift strength but also general strength and hypertrophy so there is, so if you're somebody who trains the power lifts, the squat, the bench and the deadlift, there's three options. One is the ultra and I, 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 everything is on the sheet. So the first option is the squat, bench, deadlift, singles only. So this is aimed at the true minimum dose fanatics who care almost exclusively about one repetition maximum strength and want to literally do as little training as possible and only in the form of singles. Um, you should expect some strength increases in about six weeks because that's how long the all of the templates are, but they may not be as meaningful as they could be if you followed the other. The other template is the same template as before, plus a few back offsets and a few optional accessory exercises. You should expect to see relatively meaningful um, increases in strength in six weeks. Um, and it's it's for those that want to do sort of want to play around with minimum dose training, but do not want to do as little as humanly possible. Um, yeah, you can expect to be, make meaningful strength increases in six weeks. And then there's another uh, template for, again, squat bench deadlift with some optional accessories, um, which is in the form of AMRAPs. So higher rep sets. Again, you should expect to make some strength increases, but terms and conditions apply. It will depend on how you are.
uh, well, how your previous training is. And then last but not least, there's a general strength and hyper uh, session, uh, sorry, template, which is for your average person who wants to get bigger and stronger, um, has a few compound lifts that you can use. And that's about it. It is very low volume side of things is mostly centered around SPD overhead press barbell row with a few optional accessories. But you can play around with those templates as you like. Again, the minimum dose concept is a concept. It's not like a method. And so I, I write that on the on the website as well. You could add exercises, you could take away exercises, you could add a couple of more sets because you may be somebody who has already been training with very low training volume. So what is on the sheet may be too little for you to make progress. For others who have been training with very uh, high volumes and are not used to sort of higher load training for squat bench deadlift specifically, doing so may allow them to sort of alleviate some of their uh, or reduce some of their fatigue and at the same time practice one RM specific, uh, do a lot of one RM specific work, which can then translate into some more meaningful um, strength increases. But yeah, you can find that again, minimum dose training. Brilliant. Yeah, I'll attach that in the show notes. And uh, I think even though I train regularly, I'm kind of lazy at the same time, which it kind of sounds like doesn't make sense. It's like, oh yeah, I train like every week of the year, we'll say, for example, but like I'll try and do as little as possible in the gym. So then when you came along with this research, I was like, Perfect. This is just what I want. So I'm trying to run and build. I'm trying to do purely what I enjoy. Isn't optimal for gains, but it's like if it keeps me fit and healthy and, and active, it's great. So basically, I'm thinking if there's a really like sort of ex- hardcore version of it. I don't mean hardcore like intensity, but like very bare bones version. Uh, you said it's just the lower rep training. H- how would that look over like six weeks? Like, what is that plan? So the plan is extremely simple. It's literally the same thing week in week out because it's auto regulated. So you're instructed to hit a single. So let's take the my favorite protocol, which would be the singles and back offs so on monday or day one session one you'd hit back squat and you do a single at rp 9 to 9.5 and then 80 percent of that single so let's say you put you'd, you'd start warming up and add weight at weight at some point you'd reach rp 9 to 9.5 for the squat great let's say you hit 100 pounds kilos whatever's and then you take 80 percent of that so 80 kilos pounds whatever and you do two sets of three with that then the next day and the training log will calculate your e1rm as well pretty cool um then the next day the the next sorry the next exercise would be bench again single rp9 to 9.5 so obviously that will change from week to week based on your performance and from session to session and that's the beauty of auto regulation and then you take 90 percent of that single do one rep and then take the 80% of the top single and do two sets of three. And then there's the option of you doing another two accessory exercises at six to 12 reps at RP nine to 10. So like a single set for each exercise going to failure. And that's the motto for each, um, each, each session uh, from week to week, the auto regulation allows you to select a way that is appropriate for that day without me needing to tell you, hey, add this much. Um, but at the same time, the accessory exercises, because there are, again, 6 to 12 reps at RP 9 to 10, it's a similar concept. So let's say you you want to do a bit more back work and you choose lat pull down and you select 50 kilos and you hit 6 to 12 reps. So you hit 10 reps the first uh, week at RP 10. So you go to failure. The next week, you can take the same weight, hit 11 reps, and that accounts for your progression. But 
keep in mind training with very low volume volumes of training is recommended for periods where limited time is available limited recovery resources are available so you're not sleeping as well and maybe stress is very high and also for periods where motivation may be low you're there you're busy you have other priorities work more family shmamily and you're like cool i am a lifter in my core and i am a coach and i don't want to let myself go but i don't really care at this moment for lifting weights and that's totally human and we all go through it uh, so for those people doing something or even a single set a few times per week failure or a few heavy reps per week will at least help you make maybe make some progress but for sure maintain muscle mass and maintain strength very good so uh, in this minimum dose the bare bones one or what, what is the name of the program i'm referring to what did you call that uh there's no it's called four free minimum dose training template minimum dose trademark uh, there's no specific name maybe i should give it a name but it's a very very simple template for people to just you know play around with i didn't want it to be perceived as the minimum dose program because it's it's um literally a, a few training recommendations and i just wanted to put it out there so people can access it and be like oh okay cool this is what it looks like instead of looking at the protocols that we employed for the studies that were maybe a bit too unorthodox for some people that don't care about sbd strength got it yeah yeah you didn't want to make too big of a deal out of it so yeah. uh in this the simplest program how many reps uh for squats for example would somebody do in a week just to give an an, an idea how yeah, what, what what the minimum is the most minimum oh i'll refer to the studies rather than the template that we we made the least in, in the studies from the phd that people did for the squat in terms of working reps it was two reps per week two heavy reps but that's excluding warm-ups so you could add those potentially but two two heavy reps so those reps were near max so they weren't easy reps and there were reps that require some sort of okay let's go we're doing an rpe 9.5 single so near maximum uh, repetitions and the most the least they did in the studies was two reps per those groups did not they so the way we approach the statistics was not that your typical way so we didn't run inferential statistics we rather said okay what is the chance that this group makes gains that are considered meaningful by coaches and athletes that we asked so for the squat specifically the group that did the two reps per week they saw an average let's say an average increase of like five kilos after six weeks and the was a 15 percent chance for them to make strength gains that were regarded as that exceeded what coaches and athletes regarded as meaningful and there was a 23 percent chance for them to make strength gains that were within what athletes and coaches regarded as meaningful so yeah that was cool shout out james Steele for this awesome idea for the data analysis every time i look at it i am like that's a really cool looking graph and a cool way to look at them. i'm shouting out james so this is not me kissing my own ass here just just for the disclaimer um but he has generated some really cool figures he made some gains was it the best no definitely not i mean as I, as you heard the numbers were 15 percent chance to do to get more 23 percent chance to be within so plenty of uh chance uh, there was more chance for you for somebody doing two reps of squatting per week to potentially not make meaningful meaningful gains but it's two reps per week like can't go wrong with two reps per week in terms of you know if you're feeling absolutely trash you can't be asked to train just go do a heavy single a couple of times per week for the squad and worst case scenario you'll maintain your strength absolutely yeah i see a lot of appeal in it i'm like you know, i'm young and i'm thinking like when i'm older when i have more responsibility it's going to be a lot harder to like justify like 90 minutes or two hours of training multiple times a week so i'm like i see this as like a very useful uh, template for like the rest of my life and also now that i'm trying to run 
I'm trying to like, I'm trying to maximize what I do in my training, but also minimize the fatigue as much as possible, which is like, I'm trying to do two ops. And- that's, that's a good, good point as well. A good example of those training when there's something else happening. So you're running and you have other things going on, but you could, you know, you don't necessarily need to do the one rep. You could do uh, one heavy set of squats and then do a couple of sets on leg press until failure and still. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. And um, I'm wondering, so even though the study, the, the, so to add five kilos to your squat after six weeks, like, you know, I think a lot of people would take that, but let's just say that's how much it is. But do you just kind of continually run that plan um, and minimize the fatigue and, you know, hope to make meaningful gains over the long term? Or I don't think so. I think you could run it. important to also remember that in these studies, the fact that they increase their strength, um, you must also consider that the increase in strength doesn't represent an all-time PR because we are talking about powerlifters, right? So if you took me tomorrow or next week and you you had me do a one RM test for my deadlift, surpass my all-time best or hit my all-time best, I don't. Would I be close? Would six weeks of very specific one RM training allow me to potentially hit an all-time best? I could just hit my all-time best again. So my all-time best on the deadlift is 282 kilos, 82.5. Respect the 0.5. No, joke. But like, let's say I do a deadlift one RM next week. I hit 275, which is not unrealistic. And that would be a very, very solid uh, way to hit randomly without any sort of peaking and blah, 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 blah. And, and then after six weeks of training, training and doing singles and back offsets and no other, like, cause I, currently I'm, I'm also doing other exercises for my hamstring. My lower back is involved in other exercises. My upper back is also, and in general, I am carrying a lot of fatigue, walking a lot, et cetera, et cetera. So let's say six weeks of very specific one RM training, very low fatigue because I'm not doing a lot of other stuff. And then I retest my deadlift 285. I do hit an all time VR. Now, the all-time PR, the actual change is the actual PR is 2.5 kilos. On paper, it would look as if I increased my my deadlift by what did I say 275, 270, yeah, 275, as if I increased my my deadlift by you know. So that would look much different on paper, and I think that was the case with some of the, the people in the studies as well. Because I, I knew some of them personally. I knew some did hit all-time PRs and did great. Others increase their strength in the time of the study when we're talking about all-time prs that's 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 a different story so that's something that's a limitation that we need that i think i don't think i've highlighted enough yes if the five kilo increase even if it's not a pr if you're training with such such low volume and you're seeing something going up in that time that's still very positive because you are not spending a ton of time in the gym so the fact that, yeah, maybe it's not an all-time PR, but you still manage to move three steps further than six weeks ago just by doing a couple of singles, I think that holds um, holds value. I'm not going to say a lot of value, but holds some value for powerlifting and for you and I. Absolutely, yeah. As our training career goes on, it's like um, if uh, the younger version of us uh, put in 20 hours a week in training and hit, you know, a 300 low deadlift. Um, and soon, then, soon. Yeah, you know, I'm just throwing out numbers. And then uh, like an older version of us put in half the time and hit like 90% of the deadlift that'd be like that'd be like a win on that almost would be like a PR because you put in less time but you still got like a really good result so I think this idea is not going away at all I think it's going to be like around like really useful so kind of brings me to the next question about it being useful is uh so I'm trying to run be strong and hopefully get stronger and hopefully get fitter and run faster do you have any kind of recommendations based on just maybe like your experience with resistance training about how to do and running at the same time or maybe just train two different activities 
or another activity outside of resistance training at the same time and progress in both. So just maybe any advice you have for that situation. Uh, sure. So you could run and have a dumbbell in your hand. No, I'm joking. Um, I'd say, look, uh, unless you are training for a, like an ultra marathon and you're doing absurd volumes of, um, you know, aerobic training or running specifically, you can definitely train for lifting weights be big strong shredded whatever be on top of your game in terms of strength and still be on top of your game from a running perspective now on top of your game with an asterisk you want again to like maximize running performance to and make the most of it the, the lifting weights will have to take a hit that doesn't mean you don't need to train it doesn't mean that you will lose muscle mass um or necessarily lose a ton of muscle or any meaningful amount of muscle mass but yeah if you're training for a huge event and you have to really put in the hours for running obviously you can't be putting in the hours for lifting as well but for you i assume that you want to run hit maybe some 5k or 10k goal be fit hit some prs and so on and so forth i think that as long as you separate those two sessions by a good amount of hours maybe ideally do them on, on separate days uh, make sure that you're not losing a bunch of weight and you are lifting at least a couple of times per week with a high intensity of effort hitting each muscle group with at least five hard sets per week you're going to be more than good now if you're if you want to grow and run at the same time, you can definitely do both at the same time. Um, again, you'd have to account for the extra calories burned from the running. Make sure you're eating enough. Your body weight is slowly training upwards. And at the same time that you are structuring your program in a way that allows you get your run in without that affecting your training session. So if you're running Monday night or evening and you've scheduled a huge leg session on Tuesday morning, maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe it makes sense that Tuesday morning is your upper. It's a bit of a myth that, oh yeah, running kills your gains or whatever. As long as there is some planning and you're not doing you're not running directly after lifting weights or directly before which you, you could still do and you would not die or you wouldn't lose muscle mass and for some people it would, would be fine um but as long as you're separating the two and still doing everything else that you would as if you were just lifting so eating plenty of protein lifting with uh, intensity sleeping and managing stress there's no reason why you cannot do both now if you want to dedicate more time to running and, and handle higher volume it may make sense to bring down the volume on the lifting uh, side of things maybe a bit more on the lower body stuff still train hard um, just to make sure that you are making progress but you could go slightly more minimum dose ish without i'm not saying you know doing two reps or two sets per week but you could go down to the sort of eight sets eight hard sets per per muscle group per week uh, which based on some data would still be close to the lower end of what's optimal for her. To your point, I actually see some like triathletes who are like in pretty good shape, like they're not jacked like bodybuilders, but they're certainly not like, they don't look like, you know, a marathon runner, like that slender frame. So you can definitely hold on to muscle and uh, do a lot of cardiovascular training as well at the same time. Mm -hmm. Another question I'm just thinking of that you uh, posted about is just for like novices or beginners, I think it's much more applicable is that if the basics are covered, don't lose your mind <laughs> over details. And basically this is because uh, I find a a lot of like novices or beginners will ask questions over sure. details and it's kind of i don't know i'm not sure what it is it's like it's almost like a beginner syndrome where they focus on like the complete wrong thing they make all the beginner mistakes like they focus on supplements for example or they focus on like drop sets or they focus on you know intensity as opposed to just like consistency or like sleep so i uh, will just talk a little bit about uh focusing on uh yeah and i mean it's it's something that i i see a lot as well with coaching too especially because uh we 
cater to people that may be inclined to read about all the details and are evidence-based, etc. And don't get me wrong, I don't, it's not, I get that it's somewhat cool to be a reductionist or vice versa to be, you know, very scientific, but there is a happy medium for both. Nobody's saying, hey, I'll read, read from a post that I've written. So nobody's saying, hey, don't care about details and just train hard, brother. But at the same time, if you're finding yourself overwhelmed by the amount of information that is out there, how often should I periodize my my rep ranges and should I be doing sets of um, 5 to 10 or 10 to 12 and I, I read this guy said that higher reps cause more fatigue and okay long muscle length so I should be training uh, my hamstrings this way and I read an article that said that seated leg curls are better than lying leg curls okay so that's that okay this guy's showing the trap um, the trap bar uh, is telling me that the trap bar is not the best because of this and that okay biomechanics now my lats need to be trained this way if if you're finding yourself overwhelmed, take a step back and you could make it as simple as getting stronger in the five to 10 rep range on a few compound exercises, including machines and or barbells, because people say the compounds and the only thing of deadlifts and rows and, and bench and overhead press and squat, uh, when in reality, a lat pulldown is still a compound exercise, you're using multiple muscle groups. Um, so what I wrote is get, so I made an infographic where, oh, not an infographic, sorry, a meme where it's Venom dunking over Spider-Man and on Venom, it says getting stronger in the five to 10 rep range on a few compound exercises machine and or barbell and then spider-man who's getting dunked on uh the, the caption is trying to optimize every training variable as a beginner lifter and i said the above does not mean you know just don't think about anything uh don't learn anything just train hard you can still invest time in learning about basic training principles more advanced training techniques and ways to optimize your training for strength and or hypertrophy but if you're a beginner and you're feeling somewhat overwhelmed you can also worry about implementing all that stuff in your own training later down the line. So as we advance in our lifting careers, being smart about our training is important but, and adding 10 pounds per week to our lifts will stop being the best approach, um, you know, and it will be too simple to, opt to optimize hypertrophy and strength. So if you're a beginner and don't know where to start, just start getting stronger in the 5 to 10 rep range on a few compound exercises while gaining a bit of body weight. That will probably get you a ton of results for the first year or years of your training. Do around 10 plus hard sets per muscle per week, depending on how you feel. If you want to do more for certain muscle groups, do a bit more and add a bit of weight to the bar or machine whenever you can. Um, so again, when I say compound exercises, I don't mean the basic barbell lifts, but rather exercises that work multiple muscle groups at the same time. Those can also be machine exercises like the leg press or lat pull down. If you do enjoy geeking out over training and it doesn't overwhelm you, you are still able to make progress all the while, all, geek all, all, all you want. So I'm not going to tell you don't do that or don't care. Yeah, I, I bring up that just because I've seen it with other people, but also in myself, like getting into running more and I'm like, oh, I need to get the right shoes and I need to get the right nutrition setup. I feel you, man. The running I need to do. I haven't done the basics, which is like, you know, just run consistently for weeks or months. And I'm, I'm worrying about optimizing before I've actually, you know, a base level where I've graduated from being like a new, like a beginner to like kind of inter I'm, I'm asking myself intermediate questions when I'm still a beginner, basically, is what I was doing. And I think uh, it's easy to get into that kind of situation. Sure. And I think that push things and push knowledge and, and learn stuff. I did a page and I'm constantly reading and talking with friends about the smallest of the details about things that are probably probably trivial at the same time and okay for the extra two three five percent you know you may want to get if you've maximized your growth and strength you think of more but if you're a beginner or if you're a, a late intermediate lifter you'll need to think more of your training and smart training is definitely 
recommend it. But as an app, and especially if you're overwhelmed, take a step back, get stronger, get in the gym, build consistency, build the habit of lifting, and the rest will. Yeah, I, I would even go further and I would say enjoy what. So just focus yeah. on that and that will get you so sure. much, yeah, so much strength gains, so much muscle gains because perfect your plan and optimize it and then force like growth. Like you just have to let the body kind of like react and uh, respond to the stress you place on it. And if you enjoy, uh, it sounds, this will sound kind of odd, but if you enjoy stress in your body if you find out a way that you enjoy stress in your body through exercise like a certain type of exercise whether it's long or short uh, running or if it's lifting heavy or powerlifting or bodybuilding figure out the one you enjoy and then your body will respond but like you can't try and force it the other way around and that'll that'll oh you'll, you'll be in like a world of hurt like you know you'll be trying to train like a, a an advanced athlete and you're like beginner and it will get very messy indeed pack thank you uh, very very much for your time and your wisdom and your knowledge thank you man i really enjoyed this and i hope again soon and beyond soon i mean obviously no pressure so that sounded weird i really enjoyed our time pressure's on you come out with uh another study and then we have the content the content's there then <laughs> that's true well, that's true thanks very much uh is there any kind of final message anything you want to plug that uh, we haven't gone over yet or that's coming up for you um everything you can find everything on my instagram account and bio links at at dr dr double underscore because that was the only thing available so dr double underscore pak i'll send you the link so you can put it in the description if anybody has any questions about anything related to our research feel free to reach out out more than happy to help out very good and i'm looking at the free template right now it's really good yeah it's really good so if anyone wants free template get stronger